Welcome to John Longwell Media. Creative multimedia including music, inspirational messages, and audio prose. Today's message is entitled, It's Going to Sting for a Minute. Recorded on September 18th, 2022 at Revive Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, where John serves as a teaching pastor. I pray you will be blessed by the message as you listen. Here now is John Longwell. I loved it how... Um... Josh, thank you for sharing. Um, his whole intro was my sermon, so that was good. So let's just get into it, honestly. Um, we're going to cover a lot of territory today, and we're going to look at the entire chapter, and God has something for us out of this, if you will just allow the Holy Spirit to focus our hearts. All right, the very first word, therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, ask yourself the question, wherefore is the therefore, therefore? It basically is a bridge word connecting content from the chapter 11, that hall of fame of faith. And I want to call them the faithful fallen or the, because when Sean talked about them, none of them were perfect, but God used their imperfections and their faith to do amazing things. And what that does is that makes us all inclusive of what God wants to do in and through us. Amen. So he's taking that content and he's saying, okay, now with that in mind, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, this is who he's referring to, let us um, lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Joshua already talked about the race. So I want us to look at the word weight. This is so... Okay, so when I was a, a kid and I would go to the gym, every once in a while I would see these guys exercising with these ankle weights. Do you remember those? Or they would be running and you'd see the guys running down the street with those little tiny barbells. Well, if you were to run in the Boston Marathon, you would probably take those off before you entered into that contest because you don't need that extra weight. I remember when I first started, I moved here and I would go on a hike into the Sandias. You know, I was a former Boy Scout, so I wanted to bring everything with me. Bad idea. But halfway up the mountain, you start feeling every ounce of everything in your pack. And you're like, why did I bring my rock collection with me? This is just, you know, even though it's, they're visiting their people, it's just that extra weight that you don't need. Well, this weight also is in conjunction with the weight of our sin. And we need to get rid of the sin which so clings to us. When it's speaking of this sin, it's really speaking of a sin to which we are prone that we easily fall into and that which would be most destructive in our lives. And so we need to lay aside all of that kind of weight. When I was in uh, ninth grade, I entered track and field and um, I started running the 200 meter dash. And the first day when I showed up, um, I didn't have any track shoes. I didn't really know what those were. And I, ha I was wearing the style of the times, which was the Nike high tops, you know, these big, heavy basketball shoes. And my coach looked at me, he's like, man, you're going you're gonna to have to find yourself some different shoes because that's like running in boots. And so um, I said, well, what should I get? He goes, well, Nike makes a really nice shoe called the Nike Air. Oh, love that shoe. $85 later, my mom said, well, you better love them because you're probably going to be buried in them. This last pair of shoes I'm going to buy you. And this was like in the mid 80s. And so that was a lot of money. But man, I remembered I put them on and they were just so light. 
And I, I ended up wearing those all through high school because they were my most comfortable and favorite pair of shoes. And so in the same way, we don't want to have that extra weight when it is that we are entering the contest. And the word race here actually means struggles. And those struggles that we are in, it says, let us run the, the race with endurance. God knows exactly the struggles that we are going to encounter. And so he is our coach and he's trying to coach us the best ways that we can go about um, working with those struggles. The word endurance here is a wonderful word, which basically if we break it down, it means patience and perseverance. But that word patience really has to do more with not just being patient about, oh man, I'm struggling with this sin again. But think of a coach who's trying to train you to, um, to get better at your technique. When I was also in high school, I was a diver, a springboard diver. And unfortunately, I didn't have a coach. And so the only way that I had to kind of train myself was we would videotape each practice. And then I would go back and I would try to figure out what it was that I was doing wrong. But how much better it would have been had I had a coach that said, okay, see when you were doing that, you need to change that. And back when I was in junior high, I did have a coach. And I remember that he always told me, he said, so this is kind of what your approach looks like. You kind of go up and you do one of these. But instead of going up here, I would only go here. And the coach would say, if you stop here, your momentum is going to stop here. But if you go all the way up, you're going to get that much more time in the air to finish your dive or your twist or whatever it is that you're going to do. Because I don't know if you've ever seen diving in the Olympics. And sometimes they're, they're short, which means that they don't enter the water. You should enter the water straight up and down. Sometimes they enter it like this. Sometimes they, they flap over because they're spinning too fast. And so I was never able to critique myself how much better it would have been if I had a coach that said, if you'll do this, and then I could have seen exactly what it was that I was doing wrong, and I could have corrected that. And when it comes to, to Christ and, and God trying to go through that process of practice and endurance, he's saying, I want to correct you. I want you to learn so that you can get better. And we look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Another version says, the author and the finisher. So each one of us has a story. Um, I'm, a, I'm an avid writer myself. And a lot of times I'll start, I'll, I'll start a book and then I'll read it to my wife. And um, I'll only have like gotten like halfway through it. So I'm reading and it's really exciting. And then I'll just stop and she'll go, that's it? I'm like, well, that's as far as I've written. She's like, you can't just stop and leave me on this cliffhanger. There's a couple of works that I've started. She's like, you've got to finish that before you die because I need, I need to know how this story ends. And so God is not only the one that has envisioned what our story looks like, but he's also the one coaching us through that story in each and every step because he can see the finished masterpiece. He can see that finished work and he wants us to get to that place. And he says, who for the joy that was set before him, and that joy was you and I. In the beginning, when our relationship with, with um, God was cut off, immediately the plan was put into motion for our reunification with the Father. And when Jesus was enduring all of the things that, that he had to encounter, from the torturing to the dying on the cross, he wasn't focused on those things. He was focused on the finished result, which was our communion being repaired so that we could relate to the Father as was meant from the very beginning. And it says he despised the shame 
And in, um, I believe it's, it's Romans, it talks about whose um, glory was their shame. And it's talking about the sin that they were caught up in. And one of the things that, that we kind of don't always think about when it comes to Christ is that he had way more temptations than what you and I will ever face. Because he had the God potential that the enemy tried to always tap into. Do you remember when, when the devil took him up to the high place and he was giving him all of these different temptations? And then even when Jesus was going through his passion of being arrested and being um, tortured and beaten, at any point in time, Jesus could have called down 100 million angels on his behalf and kicked some major tail. But he resisted that. It said that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And even through all of those things for which he was tempted, he did not give in to them. So he despised the shame. And one of the other things is that when we look at our sins, some of the things that that we are, um, the way that we deal with sin can can vary to, we outrightly, we, we see what it is and we're like, no, I don't want any part of that. But the enemy is so subtle and he'll he'll make us make these little treaties with sin and go, well, you know, it's not you're not really doing anything wrong. And you're like, well, yeah, you know, you're right. So we kind of we kind of give in. We kind of let him put his foot in the door, you know, and then we're told that we're not to give the enemy any foothold because the minute he gets a foot in, then he's going to come and he's going to sit on your couch and then he's going to he's going to eat at your table. And before you know it, he's going to become a resident in your life. And you'll look back and go, how did I get to this place? One of the other things that I wanted to refer to when it comes to weights is when it, when it comes to a weight that can, that can weigh us down, it doesn't necessarily have to do with sin. In 1 Corinthians 6, it, it talks about how all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. For a lot of believers, we, we may not be um, dealing with sin on a daily basis, but what we may be dealing with are things that aren't as beneficial to the race as what God would have for us. It might be things that look very good to us and they, they may be noble in this world. But in the end, God is going to say, is it really beneficial to where it is that you want to go to the end of this race? And we'll get into that in just a second. So we look to Jesus and that word look really means to look away from everything else and to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. Now we have this cloud of witnesses and we have Jesus to look to, but they're not just as examples. Jesus is the one to whom empowers us every single step of that race. And there are, there are gonna be times when we grow weary. There are gonna be times when we're running that race and we can't quite see how much we have left. And it's in those times that we need to draw that strength from Christ. Especially as we see that he ended the race. It says that he was seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint. We, I, I try to avoid hostile situations. There's a lot of times when you, you may be, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where somebody basically just tries to egg you on and, uh, I, I just avoid those places. And you, you'll see it a lot online, especially you know, there's, if you ever watch anything of a reel like on Road Rage. And you see the people that are trying to de-escalate. I remember I saw this one the other day where this guy, 
he, uh, he was riding his motorcycle and um, this, he, he was doing what's called lane cutting where the motorcycle kind of weaves through traffic, especially like at a stoplight. And they'll go and they'll stop right at the very, at the very um, head of the line. And in California, that's completely legal to do. Well, this one guy, he was in a pickup and he was not happy that this guy lane cut. And he got out and he basically just was confronting this guy and he pushed him. And then he pushed the guy's uh, passenger who was a girl. Well, that was, that was it. You don't mess with the guy's passenger. And so the, the motorcyclist was doing everything in his power to de-escalate this situation. He's like, dude, what's your problem? And he's sitting there trying to have a conversation. And it finally got to the point where he had to literally physically sit on the guy. And the guy was still cussing him and cussing him. And he's like, what is your problem, man? He goes, he goes are, are you experiencing a mental episode or something? Well, finally, when the cops got there, they, they found out the guy was completely drunk. And so he was, he was going through a lot of things. But I was so impressed by the way that this motorcyclist did not give in to the enticement to escalate things up. Because that's what sin does, especially in response. It's like, oh, okay, well, let's one-up it. Oh, let's one-up it again. And you've seen that. And there's, there's no end to that, that that's good. And so Jesus endured these kind of hostilities. And he endured them from people that once called him friends. In one, in one second, in fact, when he was coming in and uh, the, the parade with the paths and the, and the palm leaves and these people were praising him as Messiah, it was that same group of people that the very next day were calling for his crucifixion. And so Jesus uh, endured hostility on a level that we probably never will. And in verse 4, he says, In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. Now, this scripture is actually talking to the Hebrews in that time who were suffering social and economic repercussions because they identified as believers because they weren't holding to the Jewish rites and rituals of the day. And even though we may not have been pressed in our in our faith to the levels of persecution where we're shedding blood, we we certainly know that the Christian viewpoint isn't popular. And it's not even widely accepted as much as it was 20 years ago. In fact, if you enter your Christian opinion in a conversation of today, you'll most likely be seen as intolerant. You'll most likely be seen as someone that's very hostile against every kind of social opinion and morality, quote unquote, that's out there today. And so he says, have you forgotten the encouragement, the exhortation? That addresses you as sons. And I'm just going to read through this because there's kind of a big chunk principle that I just want us to look at. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Now, this word discipline, there's two different connotations for discipline. One is for punishment. It's almost like a sentence that you would receive if the judge was giving that sentence. But this is more in tune with a coach correcting and training an athlete so that they become better, so that they become more equipped for the race ahead of them. And he says, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So I don't want us to overlook this because it's so easy for us to just accept these truths without really fully examining the real value 
We have gone from a place. Okay, let's say like you're out in public and it's this probably a scenario that you've run into. And you see maybe someone's child just running amok and just being crazy. A lot of times you'll see this at a restaurant. You know, the, the, the parents are sitting there and they're enjoying their stuff. And the kids are just running around. You're like, man, what, what, who's in charge of these little people? And you want to almost step in and you want to say something. But you really don't have a legitimate connection with this person in order to do that. And that would, that's the same kind of illegitimacy that he's talking about. He's like, you know what? If you're an illegitimate connection to God, then he doesn't really have an invested interest in your betterment. But you are family. And it was, whenever I think of that, it always reminds me of the Fast and Furious movies, whether it's Fast and Furious 5 or 50. It's all about family, man. And, you know, and somebody gets wronged. And so they have to go race their cars and, and take out the nuclear missile or whatever it is. But we are family when it comes to God. And there's so much that is involved with that. And, and even though we're blood through the blood of Christ, we have a connection with him that basically says, God says, okay, from, from the time that you wake up to this very moment, every sin that you've ever committed prior to this has now been paid for. And I can see the end of the book and to the very end of your life, I'm extending that credit to the very day that you die and every sin will be paid for. And so when Christ, when God looks at us through Christ, he doesn't see the sin. He doesn't, and I, I still go back to what Mark said. It's, he's not only taken away the sin, he's taken away the very existence of the record of the sin and how God deals with us. And if, if that is a word that you need to know, stop dwelling on the things that do not exist in your relationship with God. Because as he is relating to you, he is not looking at you from that perspective. And we need to start seeing ourselves in the way that God sees us, because that will then unlock a potential that we have not even begun to tap into. And it says, for they were disciplined um, for they, meaning our father, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. And I have to stop and I just, you know, we look at the word dysfunctional. Well, we all come from imperfect parents. If you're a parent, you're an imperfect parent. Dysfunctional is just another word for normal because we live in this sinful world. And when it comes to a parent and it says they, they disciplined as seemed best to them. Well, if you're a parent, you know that maybe 50% of the time you're disciplining from the corrective moment kind of discipline. The rest is just to stop the nuisance, to stop the distraction, to stop the noise. You don't care who's at fault. You, because a lot of the time when that need for correction comes, it's never convenient for you. You're in the middle of something, you're driving, you're trying to complete another task. And so you are literally doing the best that you can in that moment. And every once in a while, you get the opportunity to go, okay, let me sit down with you. And you get down on their level and you're able to correct them. You're able to explain why it is that you are disciplining them. And so that's the best that we can do as people on this earth. And it says, um, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. No, that holiness is basically we are to be holy as he is holy. And as believers, Holiness really comes down to the ways that we, if you want to get it, the very, very basic, it's, it's what makes up the morality that we believe in. And it, because the, the world has a different morality, and, and you guys all understand that, we don't share the same foundation with the world anymore. And it, not used to, it used to not be that way. It used to be that even people in the world, they would go, yeah, we, we all kind of share that same basis 
That is not the case. Our footprint of what we understand as common and shared really gets down to, well, don't kill your neighbor and don't steal. And that's about it. Anything beyond that is is up for interpretation in the world's eyes. And so when it comes to holiness, we now are are going to have this holiness. And what's the most amazing thing about God is he's, he's saying you never approach another person with the morality side of the equation. You always approach the person from the vulnerability side of the equation and from the love side of the equation. God deals with the hearts of every single individual and whether they subscribe to, to that morality of God, the holiness of God, they are all impacted by that truth. There is something that says that even nature itself bears witness to the truth of who God is. And we're all going to be accountable to that, whether we subscribe to it and believe it and promote it. And so don't give away your holiness, what you understand to be holiness in order to compromise and in order to connect with the world. Be steadfast on the foundation that you understand as holiness because God will allow you to make a bridge of connection to people in this world. So you don't have to compromise what you believe and who you know that you are in Christ. And so he says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful and rather unpleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so I had entitled my message today, it's going to sting for a moment. And I hope that every once in a while we do get a little bit of that sting from the Holy Spirit. That's not a bad thing. It really is more of an indicator that, oh, okay, I, there are still some things in my life that I need to correct. So a little bit of course correction. One of the worst things that can happen to us as the church is that we get to the place where we no longer blush when we hear or see certain things. Because that really is just a statement that we have become so desensitized by the sin that is so prevalent all around us that we no longer even give it a point of distinction. And if we're that place, then all of the fences in our lives have been pushed over and the enemy is beginning to crowd in. We have an area of influence. Do not be deceived. Understand you have power in the spirit realm and God expects us to exercise that authority over those things that we have the ability to influence. It doesn't mean that you go in there and demand change. It may be something as simple as praying for those who you know are struggling. I have a, I have a good buddy of mine and he is, he is not a believer and I, and I meet with him weekly and he's dealing with a lot of family struggles and, I, and I, I really pray to God a lot. I'm like, Lord, how do I get from the place that I am right now? He knows that I'm a believer. I've prayed with him in the past. I've made the invitation. It's, but, you know, when you're with, with a person that you know, you don't, you don't become the heavy. Otherwise, you're just going to push them away. And so one of my constant ongoing prayers is, Father God, how do I make this connection into the very things that he's struggling with? Because it's like, I see the answer right here. And yet... Uh, the last time we got together, he was like, oh, man, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, but he was dealing with a lot of very real stuff within his family. And I was like, man, you're just dealing with life. Don't don't feel bad about that. I mean, and, and we, we actually play golf together and it was affecting his game. I was like, man, get out of your own head. Just swing the club. Just enjoy this time. Allow this time to be a little bit of a break from all that. And so, 
God will give us wisdom and he will give us the steps so that we can really be the arms and the feet and the and the voice of, of rescue and help in those areas that he has given us areas of influence in. Okay, so therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Now, I want us to look at this because this next set of scripture, starting in verse 12, really comes out of everything having been um, received in verse 11. So if we don't receive the discipline of God, then we're not going to be able to do the next bit of this stuff right here. But if we do receive God's correction, then we're going to have that fruit that comes forth, that peaceful fruit of righteousness. And basically what he's saying, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Think of a runner. You know, you've you've always seen the runner at the end of the race and they're doing something like this. They're trying to catch their breath. And they're because, you know, they're tired and that's kind of a stance where they're just they're taking some of the weight off of, of themselves or using themselves almost to lean down on. But you can't continue the race in this position. So he says, lift up your drooping hands. And um, Mark was sharing a, a story today. He, he's been dealing with some house repairs because of a root from a tree that's grown under this house. And it's several thousand dollars worth of repairs. It's gotten into the pipes and things like that. So I want you to imagine this runner and they're running through the forest and there's this root that's across the path. And maybe there's some vegetation that's overgrown it and they're running and they trip over that root. And it's, you know, now it's messed up their knee and now they're running and they're kind of in this little bit of a, a lame stance as they're running. Well, this is what God says. He says, make straight paths for your feet. He says, don't just ignore that root that you've fallen over. Go back, remove that vegetation, make it so that you can see the path straight now and chop out that root. Some of the sources of sin that we encounter are external and they should be dealt with in that way, which means change the pattern of how you're living your life so that you don't continue to run and trip over those same kinds of things. Because what's going to happen is you're going to take something that was lame and you're going to keep it from being able to be healed. Because all apart, if you ever look at uh, an athlete, guess what happens as you're in that process? You're always going to get some sort of an injury. Um, I watch Iowa State football. I'm from Iowa. And they were playing Ohio yesterday, which is a smaller school. And so they had played Penn State the, the previous Saturday and they played Iowa State. And they were talking about how whenever they go against these bigger schools with bigger athletes, they said they're going to have some bruises because it's just that level of the competition that they are interacting with. And so as we're going through the training process, as we're going through the race process, you are going to have some injuries along the way. But God is saying, I'm your healer. If you will take that opportunity, voice what those injuries are, and then cooperate with his process of healing, you will then be able to run the race in such a way where you won't re-injure yourself. And now you're aware of those things that could trip you up in the past. And then he says, strive for peace with everyone. And, And we touched on this a little bit. So that word strive basically means to struggle for peace. We struggle against sin, 
But in this saying, he's saying with the same degree that you are struggling against sin, now strive for it. It's almost take that same level of energy and now apply it over here and strive for peace. Paul says, strive to live at peace with all men as much as is basically within your power. And then he goes on to say, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. This is where he was saying, strive for peace with everybody. And it just reminds me of that biker. He was doing everything that he could to deescalate that situation without breaking the law. The guy that he was fighting with was an older gentleman and this guy was young. He was wearing a helmet. Guess what? They could have got into fisticuffs. He, the, the older gentleman could have done as many blows at the helmet. It's not going to hurt him. One or two punches with a gloved hand probably would have put this guy out. But he did not confront him on that level. He did not give up his holiness. He did not compromise the person that he was. And we are not to either as we engage with those people in the world. And then he says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. So basically what happens is if we don't strive to live at peace with other people, then those little points of irritation, they'll just begin to grow underneath. And it's just like that root that Mark's dealing with. When you look at a tree, you don't see everything that's going on under underneath. And especially they say that the entire perimeter of the tree above ground is mirrored underground by that root system so that it can support this big and this beautiful um, plant. And so there are things that are growing underground if we don't deal with them. If we if we just uh, push it away and we're all just, you know, I'll just ignore it. It's not going away. It's still continuing to fester and grow. And it will take opportunity through the energy that you give it within your life to then become enrooted in the very life that you are trying to live. And then what's going to happen is it will come out. And, it, and that word defile means to poison, to violate, to destroy. And so it will have an impact of greater significance if we don't deal with it when it is something smaller. And then he says in verse 16, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Now he says, um, sexually immoral. And this is not meaning like that he was unfaithful other than in the Old Testament sense, when all of the prophets would talk about Israel um, being like they would go after a harlot instead of worshiping God. This is talking about the state of their heart that is not worshiping the God to whom is due all worship, praise and honor. They have a divided heart in their heart is committed to something else. The story here is Esau, he's a man of the woods, and Jacob, his brother, is a kid of the kitchen. He's a cook, and his brother comes in from a hunt, and he's hungry, and he's famished, and he smells that lentil soup, and he says, man, brother, give me a bowl of that. Well, Jacob knows the promise that's over his life, that he's going to be the, the firstborn inheritor, even though he's the secondborn child. And he says, sure, man, I'll give you a bowl if you'll give me your birthright. And that birthright means his inheritance and the blessing that comes with that. And for the firstborn, it's a double inheritance. They get a double portion and the blessing from the father. 
And so at this point, you know, Esau's like, well, what good is a birthright if I'm not, a, if I'm not around to enjoy it? So he basically signs it away. And then Jacob, through some other circumstances, he finagles his way into getting the father, their father to pray over him. And so as their father was on nearing his deathbed and um, Esau went to go get that, that birthright blessing, he says, I have nothing left to give you. It's already been given to your brother Jacob. And it says here, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And we read that and we go, oh, well, he was seeking to repent with tears. No, even to the very end, his heart was undivided. He was mad because he didn't get the blessing. He didn't get the inheritance. And this is a real example for us to ask ourselves the questions. Where are we in our heart with God? Because where we are in our heart is really going to, it's going to line up with that final destination. There's things that we do right now in our struggle with sin. How we deal with sin is a good indication of the direction that we're going. You see, one of the things that Esau didn't connect the dots with was that the, the things that he was doing, how he lived his life, the fact that he was hungry and he was he was um, moved by the, um, the physical, emotional things of that day. And that made a decision for him that ultimately affected the final course of his destination. And God is saying that there is an eternal destination out there. And the grounds that decide where you are there is right now. And the enemy likes to distract us and he likes to say that, oh, your life is completely disconnected with your eternal destination. And God is like, no, 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 no. If you don't take care of it now, if you don't do something about it now, there is no other time. And when you get there, it's like what Sean had shared a couple of Sundays ago. He said, many are going to come to them and say, Lord, Lord, I did X, Y, and Z in your name. And they're going to be in full belief that they were a Christian and they were walking in the way that they thought they should have. And he's going to say, you know what, depart from me because I don't even recognize you. I don't even know who you are. So verse 18, he says, um, and we're just going to go through this because this is simply just a comparison. He is talking about Mount Sinai when Moses and his his clan that he had taken out of Egypt they're now going to Mount Sinai and they're camped out there and there's millions of them there. And they're at the base of this mountain and Moses is up there getting the law and they're overhearing God speak to Moses. And when God's speaking, it's a thunder. It's a tempest, which is like a hurricane wind and it's like a, a tornado. And it was dark and it was clouds and thunder and fire and the sound of the trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. And God wasn't even speaking to them. They were just eavesdropping on the conversation that God was having with Moses. And then um, the order was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble in fear. I, I completely understand what you're talking about. He says, but this is not the God that we are approaching. We're approaching the God at Mount Zion. And this is the picture of that. And he says, and to the city of the living God, this is that new Jerusalem. And to the innumerable angels in the festive gathering, they're worshiping. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and God and the judge of all and the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks 
a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel is the the son of Adam and Eve. His brother Cain killed him. He murdered him. And so that blood was in the ground. And that blood was the blood of the first murdered victim, the first martyr. And it's crying out for vengeance. It's saying, avenge me. And then we have the true martyr, Jesus, who died and his blood cries out for mercy upon all those that would receive it. Jesus is is seeking God on our behalf. And then Jesus is is seeking us on God's behalf. He's that perfect mediator reaching out to both sides, trying to be, be that bridge that brings both together. And so the distinction that we have here between Mount Mount Sinai with the law and the thunder and Mount Zion is that you were afraid to approach. In fact, you couldn't approach for fear of death. But now the invitation is opened and you are encouraged to enter the throne of grace with boldness, just like we've been reading about in Hebrews. And he says at this at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only earth, but the heavens and the phrase yet one more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. So when he's talking about the things that are shaken and one of the other things that I wanted to go back to the first part of this book, uh, the first part of this chapter in Hebrews 12 was he was talking about lay aside the weight. One of the things that's connected with the weight and the sin is our connection with our sin. Our sin and we and like I said, we, we make different levels of kind of agreements with sin. And Jesus is saying, I want you to see sin as something that you despise. I want you to see it as something that is so foreign to you that the minute it's it comes on the screen, you are like, whoa, no, get away, get away. Because what happens a lot. And here's one of the reasons why we struggle so much with sin is because sin has a worldly weight. Because we're so connected, because if we sacrifice that sin and we don't have it as a part of our lives, well, guess what? We may be missing out on something. Maybe that's going to be a reflection on the way that the world sees me. Maybe I won't be able to be included in certain activities or conversations or we're so connected to this world that, man, if I remove that, I'm, I'm not going to be able to enjoy an aspect of my life. And he is trying to say that the, the best way to overcome your struggles with sin is to begin to look at them in a different way that it is a part of this world and I'm not a part of this world. It's something that I go through as I, as I walk through this world, but allow my perspective to say, you know what, that, I, don't, I don't have a part of that. Because what's going to happen is this world, they get so ingrained and the concrete things that are foundational for the people in this world and the, the one thing that just kept coming to my mind was the ideologies, because everything about what you see online, the little message boxes that you see in reels on TikTok, on Facebook, it's always someone's idea of what truth is. Give this a like, give this a thumbs up. I want to hear you comment on this. And it, we, we learned that um, they're going to gather for themselves those that have that are tickled by these things. Oh yeah, that's, that's totally what I believe, man. That just, that just completely defines my theology. Where do you think people are getting their theology? It's not from the word of God. It's from this world. 
And social media has made, made it so prevalent for that voice of that theology, that demonic theology to go out there. And even young kids are going, yeah, that's totally what I believe. I didn't even know that I could believe that until somebody told me I could believe this. And then they begin to propagate that. And it, and it goes viral. And 12 million young people within a day have now seen this demonic theology. So that's what we're fighting against. But what he is saying is that there's going to come a time, and even right now, that he's going to begin to shake all of those things. And those things are going to fall away because they have no roots or ground or foundation in truth. And we look at the at verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, I love to keep my house cold. And in the summertime when it's in the 90s, if my house isn't at about 68 degrees before I go to bed, there's like this, this hump that I can't get over to cool the house down. Sometimes, if, it, if it hits 70 at 3 o'clock, oh man, that air conditioner is going to be working really hard. It has to be about 65 degrees for me to really get a good night's sleep. And doctors have shown this. I was watching the Good Morning America the other day. They were saying that optimal temperature for you to sleep is between 65 to 68 degrees. Now, your hot wife may beg to differ, or your cold wife. My, my wife likes to put her, her, her leg on me, and then before she falls asleep, her body temperature is like at 113. I'm like, whoa, whoa, get that thing off of me. I got to have it nice and cold. But sometimes when you're, you know, you're in that cold house, and, and I'll have to go outside to the garage because the garage just like bakes all day long. And I'll go outside to the garage, and I'll just, I'll just get that warmth that just spreads through my body. Or like after it's the AAC's been going all night long, I'll go out and I'll stand in the front of my house where the sun is just coming out. And I can just feel the rays just permeate through my body and warm me up. And that's the best picture of what I can describe as being consumed by the fire of God. And what we do when we allow God to consume us, he's consuming all of those things aren't, that aren't of God, that are meant to be shaken. So in the world, when they're being consumed, everything that they have founded themselves as far as ideology and things that they believe and things that they're connected to, all that's going away. And they're like, oh man, I don't know where to even stand because all of that stuff which seems so real is now gone. But as the believer, when we are consumed by God, God's saying, man, I am just finally making it easy for you to get rid of all that stuff that was a distraction that detracted from the things that I've been trying to do in your life. And so um, worship team, I'd like you guys to come on up because we're going to end with one song. Here's the measure that he says to know if you are being consumed by God in the right way. He says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. It is a sad statement to make that this world no longer reveres God. I remember that when I first started out as a pastor at age 18 and I went and I preached my first sermon, there was a there was a level of like respect that I got even just telling people that, hey, I'm going into the ministry, I'm going to Bible college. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. You know, I, I didn't really, there's, but there was a whole history behind that about the role that the pastor had in a community to be the one that was there at the bedside of the people that were going, that were sick, that would pray for them. 
And people don't even acknowledge the presence of a pastor. They'd be like, who's that guy over there? Oh, that's our pastor. Oh, okay. That just, it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't commute. Uh, it doesn't connect or uh, compute in the, in the way that they, they live their lives. And so there's no reverence for God. There's certainly no awe for God. You know, I, I love Richard because he'll post on um, Facebook these beautiful sunsets and stuff. And I'm like, man, that is that is just amazing just to see the glory of God and the reality of the world in which he's created. And some people, they'll post those pictures and they're like, oh, yeah, Mother Nature this. And I'm like, there's no Mother Nature. That's God. That's his handiwork. That is what he is doing. Ascribe it to the right author. It's not author unknown. It's God. And then our response is to be one of worship. And if there is something that you are struggling with, the first place for you to start, the first step that you need to take is one of worship. You may not know the things to pray, but if you will get yourself in a place of worship, and I'll just have to be honest with you. um, I've been preparing this message for about two weeks, and um, I was going to go over it last night, and I was just sitting there, and I was dealing with anger all day long, and it was just, it was so... On, uh, my wife is gone right now, so I'm the only one in the house. I, I would have been the only one to make me angry. And I was like, man, God, why am I so angry? And, and God would say, it's because you're trying to prepare the word. And I was like, oh, man, that, that was it. So I, I put on some worship music. And before I, I did anything more with my notes or looking through the word, I just allowed myself to bask in that presence of worship. That is a, that is a safe zone where no demonic force wants to go. They do not want to be in the presence of worship. And so if you are struggling with something that is overwhelming, get yourself in a place of worship. Learn how to worship. Learn how to lift up your voice. You don't have to be a good singer. You don't have to be a musician. But there is something inside of you that God has created to respond to him in worship. And I guarantee you, if you will make that a part of your life, it will transform your walk and it will make your ability to overcome your struggles that much easier. And I'm not saying that that is an easy process because the enemy knows who you are. He reads your mail. He knows how to get to you. But you need to do everything that you can do as an athlete that's being trained by God to follow the coach's corrective actions. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us so many good things. And I don't know what's applicable to the folks here. Um, If you need prayer, I ask that you would come forward this morning and, and receive that prayer. Lord God, you know where each and every one of us are in our struggle with sin, in our struggle with the weights of the world that, that detract us and distract us. And so, Father God, minister to each and every one here as only you can do. And Father God, let us worship you and give you reverence and awe as you are due. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this inspirational message. Please email questions, comments, and booking information for John to mail at johnlongwell.com to see the full range of creative works, including books, inspirational messages, music, art, and web development content. Please log on to www.johnlongwell.com. Thank you for listening, and may God's blessings be yours in abundance.